0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Jew and Gentile podcast. I am your host, Chris Katolka. With me is none other than the sage himself, the Jewish sage, Mr. Steve Herzig. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, Chris. How are you? I'm doing good. We're back for another Jew and Gentile podcast. This is episode, if you can believe this, episode 75. 75. Mm-hmm. We've done this 75 times. Boy,
1: we're just... <laughs> when
0: something's bad, we keep doing it. I know. <laughs> 75 times in honor of Israel's 75th anniversary coming up pretty soon. Uh, But until then, hang on a minute. Welcome in, welcome in. Yeah, we got a great program lined up for you. Uh, Before we get to it, though, I just want to remind you that the Jew and Gentile podcast is sponsored by FYI Equip. Steve, where are you going to be on March 9th, Thursday, I, March 9th? I am going to be in front of my computer watching Tom Simcox. Tom Simcox, that's right. I'm glad you're going to be there. Tom Simcox is going to be teaching a class on Messianic Prophecy. Um, and uh, we were discussing it. It's a three-week course uh, uh, starting on March 9th. Actually, let me get the dates up here so I can remember them. March 9th, March 16th, and March 23rd. Um, uh, Tom's going to be teaching about messianic prophecy, what what messianic prophecy uh, uh, was pointing to Christ in the Old Testament, and even the messianic prophecies that were pointing to his second coming. That's important. And then finally, you know, uh, he'll be looking at the the New Testament messianic prophecies as well because of the second coming. These are all very important, and all Jewish, by the way, and all Jewish. And that's why we're doing it because FOI Equip is all about learning the Bible from a Jewish perspective. Which,
1: by the way, I know you won't bring it up, but we were talking about it before we came online, and that is you got you had five stars for your book, Chris, and oh, now yeah. there is four stars. Aye, you lost aye. a star, and we talked about, I think you should tell them what you told me. I think that's significant. We're all about taking criticism. <laughs> all seven of our listeners, if they want to <laughs> criticize us, Zygazun. But the person who wrote a bad thing, first of all, it was one word. You're going to tell the word. He didn't even read the book. Nope. So tell us what happened and why you went from five stars to four stars on Amazon.
0: Well, so my son, Cohen, we're about to leave. I'm about to take him to school this morning. And he says, Dad, your book's on Amazon. I'm like, I know. Isn't that awesome? And he goes, Yeah, you've got four stars. That's really, really good. I'm like, Four stars. Last time I checked a couple months ago, it was five stars. So that means somebody rated it and maybe even commented. So I wanted to see. Like, I wanted to see what that person said. I, I'm like you said, I'm game for criticism. Bring it. I love criticism. Tell me it. You know, you disagree, whatever. But this one just went. He put one star down and then he said propaganda, which I sat there and I went. He didn't even read the book. He's just throwing the book. He's just throwing the content because he doesn't agree with it into the trash and it, it, to me, it was a, it was uh you know, in bad faith that you would do something like
1: that. We so. get we get that word propaganda in other ministries that we have within North America ministries within our department. We have equipped classes, and sometimes on YouTube when they're on there, people they discount us because they they say this is Israel and you don't know what you're talking about so we have it on equip we have it with our workers mm-hmm. i've been i've preached at places where they where they uh, protested outside the church <laughs> and said uh th- what's going i was in germany when uh there was a protester and they had to call the police and so, prop- propaganda is the number one argument against us which is Fine, if you want. Except the propaganda we use is the Bible. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Which they would probably say is propaganda.
0: And if it, if it, you know, do you remember? Did you years ago go with me to um, Philadelphia when uh, the? There was the Palestinian liberation. No, that
1: was Lorna Simcox, the yeah. other
0: Jewish person. That's right. And
1: uh,
0: I knew it was loud, you know. I just, <laughs> I'm not joking. And so when we were over there, we, I, I had me, Lorna, and I think another person. I think
1: Chuck was there yeah, with you. Chuck
0: McCracken. We went over to an event uh, that was run by an organization called Sabil. And uh, they, were the, it's, they were very pro-Palestinian and anti-Israel but they did it from a theological perspective which you know you can be anti-israel that's fine but when you throw the when you say the bible you know or when when you say it's theological that you're anti-israel now i'm now i'm keyed in because now you're talking about the bible you know you can disagree with israel all you want as a country but now we're talking about the bible so we went over there to go find out what you know what it was that theologically drove them to believe that there should not be a state of israel and it was fascinating how they just simply rewrote the Bible and uh, restructured it and even reinterpreted the scriptures to fit their agenda. They didn't like the fact that Israel, Jewish people were in the land, that Israel was in the land. They didn't appreciate that. And so what did they do? Well, they took all of the texts that talk about Jewish people being in the land and the Bible and go, went, ah, we don't need those. It's completely reworked. Jesus did away with all of it. Israel shouldn't be here. And Christian Zionists like me and you are the problem with the world. And so I just find it interesting because you can even have people, they might believe in the Bible, but then what they'll do is they'll reinterpret it so
1: that it becomes propaganda for their opinion. We're, we're just teaching it as it is. That we're just reading it the way it is. And that's always going to be a problem for people. So all I'm saying is you still are five-star in my eyes. Thank you, sir. Uh, and... Forget the person who says propaganda. If they criticize you, write out what you didn't like. That's right. Hey. Zagazun. Live and be well. There, that's that's right. all I have to
0: say to that guy. <laughs>
1: Live and be well. <laughs> that's
0: right. But don't bring my stars all the way down. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> hey, listen. Uh, again, be sure to go to foiequip.org to register for Tom's Messianic Prophecies class starting March 9th. And also, April 13th, we have Ty Perry. He's going to be doing a class on Holocaust Remembrance. Very significant. And all of this ties into some big big important things we're going to be talking about today when it comes to the text and when it comes to the news as well. And what's going on in Jewish culture, which I think we should I th- I think we should go to right
1: now. I think we should talk about what's coming up next week in the Jewish calendar. That's right. By the time we do our next podcast, Purim would have been in our rear view window. So even though it's before Purim a few days we want to talk a little bit about it and so we'll start off with did Did you know know. and Emily Stone is there for us again Emily whoever you are wherever you are we thank you and here's what she says Purim she calls the Jewish Halloween and Chris you've been in Israel during Purim I have too and they dress up right it's a party it's a dress up party I've looked at Hulk and Spider Man. Clowns. <laughs> clowns. Oh, clowns are scary.
0: They don't <laughs> do the scary stuff, though. You know, it, it, Halloween, some people get dressed up and they put the ghost outfit on or some zombie this or they don't. It's more of a festive, exciting, you know, dress that they wear. A 100%. Uh,
1: but when I was young, you didn't dress up as some movie uh, person character. You dressed up within the story that Purim comes from, which, of course, is the book of esther so the girls dressed up as esther and the boys dressed up as either Haman or mordecai and uh, we even had contests just like within the book and Mm -hmm. and the rabbis canter would choose who had the best costume and get a prize and there was uh there there were little stations you could do fun things like a carnival it was a lot of fun but uh,
0: You're good at that too, because you do stuff with the grandkids. You bring them over. You put the masks on. Oh, we do the you whole, retell the story. That's you spin right. The, spin
1: the groggers yep. and make noise. But uh, what uh, what Emily does is she calls it the Jewish Halloween, and she says Purim is a raucous one day celebration that occurs one month before Passover and commemorates one of the greatest turnarounds in Jewish history. Isn't <clears> that great? I love it. And we're going to talk about a guy who doesn't agree with that <laughs> at all. But nonetheless, in about the 5th century BCE, and notice she uses BCE, doesn't want to use BC before Christ. This is BCE before the Common Era. Ruler Xerxes of Persia, presumed to be none other than King Ahasuerus, was minding his own business when his vizier, An evil grouch named Haman (laughs) attempted to annihilate the Jews of ancient Persia. I love that he's minding his own business. That's right. Just walking around and boom, there's Haman. The Jews were saved by a heroic mensch. We had that as one of our Yiddish words. Oh, yeah. Uh, Named Mordecai and his hot cousin, wife (laughs) Esther. (laughs) Emily is She gets right to it. She gets right to it. Uh, In fact, Emily goes on to write, did you know... That Hadassah, the woman Zionist Organization of America, pioneered by Henry Henry Etta Zold, is named for Esther. That's in the Book of Esther. Is her name Esther and her other name, Hebrew name, Hadassah. By the way, most Jewish people have two names.
0: Do they? Oh, that's right, because we talked about this. You you have two names. I have two names. What uh, was your two? What was it again? Israel. That's right. You are Israel. I am Israel. My middle name is
1: Reuben. Wait, you are Israel Reuben. Where did Steve come from? Steve is my name that, because I live in the diaspora. That's how you assimilate. You're given your assimilated name, just like Esther has the name as she's in Persia, but she's Hadassah
0: in Hebrew. So but in your, on your birth certificate does it say Steve?
1: No. In my on my birth and my Brit Milah, which I have no idea where that is, uh some sort of certificate for my uh Circumcision, yes. And when I was called up for my bar mitzvah, no Steve Herzig anywhere. I was Israel Reuben.
0: No, way. oh yeah. I remember us talking about this a few episodes it, ago, yep. but it's still because I've known you for 20 25 years, and honestly, it's never hit me that you're Israel Reuben. I'm Israel Reuben. You yep. are the man, all Israel Reuben. All day,
1: Israel, <laughs> all day and all night. I'm Israel.
0: My two things wrapped up together Israel and a Reuben sandwich. <laughs> There you go.
1: Take me to the deli. There you go. So anyway, Purim, uh, Did you know we make we make fun Emily Stone? We found I found this book a number of years ago. I know a number of people who listen. All seven of them. I think a few of them have bought this book. It's very helpful. It's got lots of little little gems of mm-hmm. information that give you insight to the Jewish people and to culture.
0: And Steve, if we were uh, smart. Uh, When it comes to the podcast, we we would have probably planned to talk about this in relationship to Revelation chapter twelve. Today we're doing Revelation chapter eleven, but the point of Esther is that God is providentially protecting His people even when empires rise up to try to uh, squash them. We've seen the Egyptians try to do them to wipe them out, and the and the and the Babylonians and the Assyrians and the Persians here with uh, with um with Esther. And the Greeks and the Romans, there is a, uh, a history of, of Jewish pe- uh, the Jewish people uh, being uh, uh, pointed out, targeted, and then trying to be wiped off the map. And yet God in his providence, even though his name is never mentioned in Esther, God in his providence is protecting his people And it just goes to show that it all roots back to this promise that God made to Abraham, that he can never let them go. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. doesn't matter how big your army is. doesn't matter how much money you have in the treasury uh, to to try to squash out your enemies or the Jewish people. God will protect a remnant and continue his promise throughout time, even today. To think about the fact that it was 75, 80 years ago when when, uh, Hitler— tried to annihilate all of the Jewish people and 6 million he did that was that wasn't medieval ages steve that wasn't like you know some thing that happened thousands of years ago that was just in the 20th century and here we
1: are and god still has preserved his people as a testimony to his faithfulness well you know we're going through the book of revelation which is uh, a thing that's going to take place in the future most of it uh, after the third chapter of the churches and then we start in chapter 4 But if you think about uh, the book of Esther, you have to go back, whether it's Hanukkah or Purim, you have to go back to Genesis chapter 3, because that explains all these attempts to annihilate the seed of the woman. Mm -hmm. It's always the seed of the woman. If Satan can stop that special birth, and as you progressively read through the text, I'll be speaking Sunday uh, on the book of Micah. And in Micah chapter 5 and the second verse, it tells us where the seed of the woman and where the promised uh, 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 nation from Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant, comes the place of birth of him, mm-hmm. of, the, of the Messiah, the seed of the woman. And that's Bethlehem of Judea, uh, not the Galilee. Jude, it's just amazing the precise prophecies. And so Purim was... If if Ahasuerus or Haman was successful, no seed. Mm-hmm. And by the way, if Hitler was successful, they're already Jewish people. If he wiped mm-hmm. us all out, then God's a liar. Jesus is not returning to the land and the people he promised to, and Satan is one. That's right. So whether that was before the birth of Christ, the seed of the woman, or even now today, uh, Satan's way of... Thwarting the plan of God is to wipe the Jewish people out. So why, why is there anti-Semitism? Ty is going to go in-depth, and there's lots of, uh, lots of avenues that he can take and talk about and should. But why satanic? That's, well, the, that's just one word, satanic. And that's the reason
0: why I said if you and I were smart, we would have timed it with Revelation chapter 12, because there's the woman... Uh, Uh, there's the child and there's the dragon. And And it's the picture of how God has constantly tried to not only stamp out the Jew, because if God can get to the Jewish people, he can get to God. That's the, if Satan can get to the Jewish people, he can get to God. That's the point. And that's why
1: they've been under attack from the very beginning. And will continue to be. That's exactly right. so what a great time. Hamantashen my, even though it will be over, but for chapel next week, my wife is baking Hamantashen We'll, I'll bring them here. Uh, she tested out a recipe on me, and I wanted to bring them. She had a whole bunch. I wanted to bring them here today. She said, nope, they don't look good. They tasted great, but they, she said they didn't look good. Okay. So we have to wait till next week when she can pretty them up a little
0: Well, bit. Alice is the queen of... Hamish. She's Hamish-toshing to me. She is (laughs) Hamish-toshing. I like it. She's in here filling up our cooler with drinks. That's right. She bought Jim
1: Showers his special cola.
0: That's right. And then now she's making hamantoshen for everybody, so she's Hamish-toshing to me. She
1: is a Hamish gal. All
0: right. well why don't we go ahead and get ready for our fast news here, Steve. Okay, we've got to get it. I don't know if you're... I'm doing the Times of Israel. I'm
1: doing the Jerusalem Post. Okay,
0: and this is going to give our listeners a quick look at what's going on in the News in Israel, we'll have some more uh, news coming up with some more commentary later on. But for right now, let's get to Fast News. All
1: right, Chris, let me start off by saying in Israel, right now as we speak, police are throwing stun grenades at several pro- protesters who have been injured. This, of course, is because of the legislation that Israel wants to pass concerning democracy. That's right, as protests sweep the nation, police use aggressive means to clear
0: Tel Aviv rally, which isn't surprising to me. People have to understand they're only 40 minutes apart, 45 minutes apart, Uh, but Tel Aviv and Jerusalem might as well be two different countries. Jerusalem, the more religious conservative city of Jerusalem, Tel Aviv, the more liberal progressive city. So of course Tel Aviv, is where the protests are happening in frustration of what's happening at the knesset
1: kind of like my commute from where i live to here 30 minutes here is communist state of new jersey i live in the liberal state and liberated state of pennsylvania liberated i like it Go he ahead. was the ultimate friend american israeli Elon Ganellis, laid to rest chris he was the one that was american that was a terrorist had killed Uh, This is another one coming from the
0: Times of Israel. Settler extremists are sowing terror. Haral Riot was a pogrom, top general says. And this, again, there's a disagreement among Israelis about settlements in the West Bank. Some of them are for settlements, expanding their reach in the West Bank, while others actually consider it. Uh, wrong to do and are actually very angry at Israelis that make uh, 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 build homes in the West Bank.
1: Oh, this is big news, Chris. Is Israel's death penalty for terrorist bill passes initial Knesset vote? They they don't have a death penalty. This is major news. Well, this
0: is huge. Alright, one more. Here we go. EU diplomats. We are surprised by Netanyahu's uh, lack of coalition control. Hey, I think he's got control over the coalition. It's just the fact that most of the Western governments don't like what he's doing at all anyway, so they'll just blame it on him.
1: And that's the news. That's fast
0: (laughs) news. Now, Steve. I love fast news. That was good. That one I
1: feel confident about. That one was, I thought we handled that one smoothly. Well, I wouldn't go that far, but I would say... (laughs) that it was better than last week. The which isn't is, saying a whole lot. I can
0: not uh, people have to understand. Steve and I are literally we haven't even looked at we're just scrolling through finding a headline and bada <laughs> bing, bada and then, bing. and then
1: talking nonsense since we didn't read the article. <laughs>
0: yeah. All right, we're giving away our secret. It's like a magician who gives away his secret, you know, we're right. just giving away That's our secret. That's right. Go but ahead, hey, Steve, hey, we're doing revelation we're chapter doing 11. We're doing
1: revelation chapter 11 and Chris, we were we were talking about this. There is some sense to our nonsense. Uh <laughs> And we did talk about this in Revelation chapter 11, the two witnesses that come on the scene. And, you know, the darker the night, Chris, the more glorious the sunrise. I heard that from a number of different prophecy speakers, and I think that's a great way of alluding to this period of time called the tribulation. It's a dark time for the Jewish people. I would even make the argument it's a dark time for planet Earth. But in the midst of it, God will have his witnesses. Mm -hmm. We've already talked about the 144,000 who we, you and I believe, are literal 144,000. It's not symbolic, and nor do we believe it's symbolic of people. We don't think it's members of the church. We believe it's Jewish people, uh, Jewish men separated by God for the purpose of proclaiming the kingdom. In the midst of this darkness, and God has appointed two other witnesses in addition to the hundred and forty four thousand Why don't you read starting in chapter eleven?
0: Steve before I get to the reading can i uh, I want to interject by uh, a friend posted something on Facebook recently um and he's a friend I disagree with probably on on um issues of prophecy and and how the Bible should be understood prophetically um and he's reading a new Revelation commentary that came out by Scott McKnight, and I don't know if you know that name, Scott I McKnight. I do know the name. He is, I think he's a professor at Northeastern or one of the, you know, seminaries, and uh, but he's a preterist, which means he believes everything's been fulfilled. It happened already. It, <laughs> that's old news. <laughs> Revelation's old news. That's right. Uh, and so he uh, posted a picture of his, uh, I, I don't know what chapter this is, but I, I wanted to read it because I thought maybe it could help us define... Uh, what we're talking about here, because like you said, we literally believe these events will happen. We're futurists. We're premillennialists, which means these events must happen before the return of Christ. And so, uh, but this is the, what Scott McKnight writes. He says, the ways of reading revelation that spend time speculating about the questions, when will all this happen? Who is the antichrist? Fail the church in discipleship. Instead of discipleship that teaches us to discern Babylon Babylon among us and shows us how to live in Babylon as uh, dissidents instead of conformists, these speculative questions teach Christians how to wait for the escape from Babylon. They encourage questions like, will I be left behind or raptured, and am I in or out or am I saved or not? By making future-focused judgment central to reading Revelation and treating Babylon as a world-class city of the future or giving the USA and Israel a central role in in the divine plan, this speculative method teaches adherence to trust in the wrong things, especially the false safety of all of the all-powerful American military, which I was thinking is interesting. But anyway, I— I'm interested in your thoughts as we go into this. I, something I, I saved so that we could talk about it on the podcast. But I find I find it interesting that he thinks by us interpreting the book of Revelation the way we interpret it, he's saying we're he's he's saying we're doing a disservice to discipleship. I I don't think so.
1: I don't think so at all. In fact, I think it's a very narrow way of looking at it because in ultimately he's believing this is ultimately about us, about the church about us now all this was happened already and how do we apply it for ourselves i've got news for him in a nice honestly a nice way this is future mm-hmm. this is the this is not a focus on me this is a focus on what's going to happen in the future to other people god's in the business of not just saving people he's in the business of saving planet earth and he's in the business of saving a nation that he promised to, mm-hmm. uh, and it's other than us. I, look, the church is important. Uh, applying texts to us are important. Uh, absolutely. But th- we believe it's future because it reads in the future. These are, so who were who the two witnesses that already came according to him? And is the Antichrist really Nero? How how could you—this is—who's Jacob's trouble? What was Jacob's trouble in the past? Jacob's trouble, according to Judaism, is unprecedented. Mm -hmm. It's—nothing like that has ever happened. Uh, How does he deal with Zechariah? Two-thirds of the Jewish people die. When has that ever happened? Mm -hmm. So those are questions that I would have— and they revolve outside of just people getting saved and being discipled. It involves a whole promise that God has given that He stakes His word on. We're going to talk in, in Revelation eleven. He's up in heaven at, at in in the temple looking down at His holy city. That's a holy city in this period of time. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that.
0: Yeah, I think it's interesting that He says it does a disservice to discipleship by asking questions like. When will all this happen? If I remember correctly, it was his disciples who asked Jesus on the Mount of Olives. Good point. When will all this happen? So are they wrong? Like it, it, would Scott McKnight sit down with them and go if he was sitting there, guys, stupid question, guys, th- are we asking this question really? No, the disciples, the followers of Jesus, the 12, were sitting there going Look at the beautiful temple. Look at this. Look at that. You're in Matthew 24, right? Matthew now. 24, yeah. The Olivet Discourse. And they there, they are saying, when will all these, when will be the sign of your coming? We wanna know, you know? And so the disciples ask the question. And I also think it's interesting that I think he leaves out the major portion of revelation that we spent a long time on, which is all about discipleship. The the ministry to the seven churches. Where we, dis- where we talked about Jesus speaking into the lives of those church members in each church saying, don't be lukewarm, don't be this, turn away from your idols, turn away from sexual immorality, don't be a, a, a part of the world, You know, don't be in the world, all of these things. Why? Because these events are coming. Jesus is coming back. So discipleship and prophecy— they go hand in hand. 100%. How do you? Why would I behave if I knew I could get away with anything I want? You can't get away with it. God sees you, and he's coming back again. So again, I, I read this, and I thought, I think we need to speak about this, because what he's really doing is just arguing against our way of interpreting the fact that it's not just the Re- book of Revelation. The entire Bible is screaming for the consummation of, of all things in the end, pointing us, like you said, to the redemption of all mankind, the redemption of earth, when when his creation is resurrected, when when, when he establishes his kingdom on earth. Everything is pointing to that. It's not now. And so we should live in light
1: of that kingdom. Our it, citizenship it, is in heaven, not here. You gotta help me here. Satan is bound in revelation. He He's bound. And he's gonna be let loose in the millennial kingdom. So if we're already in the kingdom, this is the best God can do? You're yep. telling me you're telling me Satan is bound now? And look around. I I just well, don't care. And it. that's
0: a part of the the confusion too, Steve, is if we're in the kingdom, if preterism would argue We're in the kingdom. We're in the kingdom. The events have already taken place. <laughs> Press the
1: button. Ay-yi-yi.
0: Yeah. All right, here we go.
1: Is anything okay? Uh, not that one. There we go. But it's interesting because he says in discipleship,
0: we should be learning how not to live in Babylon. That And what he's talking about is I agree with him. The, the world is Babylon. You know, when you go to Manhattan, when you go to, yes, Manhattan, you know what? I'm not saying it's biblical, but I'm saying it's, it's Babylon. It's the world. Any we, major city is at, is Babylon-like. Exactly. It's the world. It's the world. Everything Jesus spoke against is the world, and that's what Babylon is. And so Scott McKnight is right. We should be living a life that's opposite of Babylon. 100%. How, how do we disciple that? Well, we go like this. Hey, guess what? Jesus is coming back soon, and he left us his word that we might be saved and transformed into his image that we might be like him so that as we continue to run the race, eventually we will see him and we will become like him, resurrected and glorified. But until then, you can't just give up. You can't just live a life of sin. The spirit of God in you is going to change you and make you more like him. That's in the world that we're living in. That's discipleship. So it's just funny to me because what he's really just doing is going, Stop listening to all those people, like me and you, who say there's a future events that are going to be taking place. We shouldn't place our trust in those future events. We should be placing our trust in Christ. But it's, when will these things happen? Even the disciples ask that question.
1: 100%. And we've got two witnesses here who are living in a dark place, proclaiming the truth, and they're proclaiming it to people who, by the way, can hear them and respond to it and be saved. We're still talking about people who can be saved. Uh, this isn't a period of time where, uh oh, forget about it. No, no. People, forget about it. People can be saved, mm-hmm. and they're preaching the kingdom because the kingdom is soon coming. And now you want me to read. I want you to read. All right, here we go. Sorry about that. Uh, oh, no, that was—so I think we'll be on chapter 11 for two weeks. All right, here we go. <laughs> I
0: was given a read like a measuring rod and was told, go and measure the temple of God and the altar with its worshipers but exclude the outer court do not measure it because it has been given to the gentiles they will trample on the holy city for 42 months and i will point to my two i will appoint my two witnesses they will prophesy for 1260 days clothed in sackcloth they are the two olive trees the two lampstands and they stand before the Lord of the earth. If anyone tries to harm them, fire, will, uh, fire, will, uh, fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. This is how anyone who wants to harm them uh, uh, they must die. They have power to shut up the heavens so that it will not rain during the time they are prophesying, and they have the power to turn the water into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want.
1: Steve, who are these two? Ah, that's the question. We were talking about this before we came on. Uh, Chris, I've, I don't know how many messages you've heard on Revelation 11. I've heard a few of them. And each speaker tries to identify them, and, and rightfully so. I, I, you, could, you could speculate, just as Scott McKnight. Oh, speculate. That's what it would be. Mm-hmm. But uh, we know that, uh, the, that Elijah and Moses... Are two of the people that uh, people say, preachers say, scholars say, are the two witnesses? Uh, because uh, Elijah was the one to be able to uh, preach, uh, bring fire down, and uh, Moses was at they were both at the Transfiguration. We talked about uh, Enoch and Elijah, two of the two people in the Old Testament text. Boom, they were taken out. Enoch was what I regard as the first raptured person. Mm-hmm. The Bible says he was not. I love that expression. <laughs> hey, I'm here, and then I'm not here. Where'd he go? I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> he's gone. so they believe it's it's him. But I don't know who you might speculate that it is. I just say that John said they were two witnesses. They were Jewish, and they're preaching, and they're they're sticking close to the temple. Mm-hmm. Isn't that interesting? They're sticking close to the temple. They're dressed like old Testament prophets Yep, and they're preaching in a modern era because I think people, people all around the world are going to know about them in the question. How, how are they going to know? I think there'll be cameras. There'll be some sort of way that people can tune in and listen to them as they are, uh, speaking. Uh, I don't know who they are. They're two witnesses. Do you have an opinion? Well, you you
0: mentioned a few. Um, First, it's interesting because the text does give allusions that we have to mention. The first is—oh, thank you very much. The first is this, is that in in verse 4, it does say that they are the two olive trees, which comes from Zechariah chapter Mm 3 and Zechariah chapter 4. And those two olive trees, in the context of those passages in Zechariah, connect to Zerubbabel— who was leading um, Judea at that time. He was technically within the line of King David. He's a part of uh, Jesus's lineage, Zerubbabel. And then the high priest, Joshua, those were two olive trees. So there are some that say, oh, well, hey, look, it's a direct connection. The Two olive trees, Zechariah 3, 4. That makes sense. Makes so- but then all of a sudden they're casting down fire. And it says in verse 4, if I can find it, the two lamp stands, and they stand before the Lord um, on earth. Um, and it says, if anyone tries to hard, harm them, fire comes from their mouths and devours them like enemies. So then, there are some who have the idea that it's uh, Elijah and, and Moses, because there was fire associated with them—the chariots of fire um, with Elijah and the and the you know fire by day and cloud by uh, sorry by, a cloud by day, fire by night—and the presence of the Lord with Moses. And those two were standing with the Lord on the Mount of Transfiguration. So those would would have been two witnesses of what Jesus was doing at the Mount of Transfiguration, so some allude to them. And there, there are others as well. Uh, you have this interesting um, newsletter, it looks like, from uh, Ed Heinzen, uh, and he mentions the, the ones that we just talked about, Enoch, Elijah, Elijah and Moses, or Joshua and Zerubbabel. But we wanted to add something to Emily Stone's Did You Know? I forgot. Oh, what, what, what Remember, we, we wanted to add—it's not in the book, but we wanted to add it. Did you know that the two witnesses were— I don't know. I forgot. You forgot. I did. Uh, okay. So the two witnesses are. We don't know what the, who they are, but they are Jewish. Oh, <laughs> do you remember that?
1: Yes. Now so we, just, <laughs> we wanted. I to thought. <laughs> did I mention two people? No. Th- well, I know they're Jewish. That's yep. for sure. That's what I you come definitely back. Definitely. Th- did there was there a a on my face like fright all. What did I say? What? I don't remember. You just looked like you were racking your brain. Um, That's ra- all. <laughs> which is, there's not much of a brain to rack. But again, this is Jewish stuff. All the stuff we're reading here from John, after the churches. And by the way, there are Jewish people in those churches. But we're reading, and, and you talk about next week, we talked about Purim. This is all Jewish stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, the, this is coming from Jerusalem. There is a temple Uh, They are proclaiming the kingdom during this time. And God is, uh, as you read in chapter 11, uh, measuring the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. And the uh, idea here is that God is orchestrating chapter 11, planting his two witnesses To proclaim the truth. To proclaim the truth. And it's also—and I like—you know, sometimes we
0: separate the idea of a prophet from the Old Testament and then into the New Testament because they are doing a prophet's work. This is prophets. It's prophecy and
1: prophets. And
0: they're coming right into the city, the holy city, Jerusalem, which is one of the reasons we believe it matters that Israel exists today because you can get on a plane with the friends of Israel,
1: and we can take you to the city called Jerusalem. And And they could see— the elements in Jerusalem today that will probably, I'm thinking, probably be in the temple this period oh, of time. Yeah, 100%. The
0: temple Treasuries Institute. That's right. And it has the um, incense altar has and it has altar, the menorah. It has
1: everything. Mm-hmm. They're ready to roll. They're waiting. They're waiting to see if there's any white hairs on one of the, the heifers. Uh, red heifers. <laughs> well, and it's funny, too, because
0: this is what everybody is worried about with uh, Netanyahu's government, that they're all just a bunch of religious people who already tear the dome of the rock down and rebuild a temple. That's the way they think about it. you know. That's
1: exactly the way they think about it. But
0: it's, it, what's interesting is that in light of the prophecy, there is also this, uh, or the, the idea that these two witnesses are acting as prophets going into the holy city of Jerusalem, announcing truth, They are calling on people to repent, and it says this. It says they have the power to shut up the heavens so that it will not rain during the time that they are prophesying. That goes back to Deuteronomy chapter 28 when God told Israel, if you abandon me, if you turn away from me, if you follow false gods, if you don't follow my commandments, then the first thing I'm going to do is turn the water off. I am going to turn the water off. No water, no rain, no rain, no food, no food, no eat, no eat, famine. And that's exactly—it's fitting right in line with the prophecies of the Old Testament as well as we're seeing the two witnesses announcing the truth of who God is, his son that came, and the repentance that they need
1: in order to find forgiveness. So the question, Chris, is— Oh, people must have responded to they love them and embrace them. Oh, this is a message of God, please. What do we have to do? What happens next? Oh, man, they they are
0: not welcomed at all. Now, it says in verse 7, now when they have finished their testimony, the beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them and overpower and kill them. We'll learn more about the beast in future chapters here. And it says this, uh, their bodies will lie in the public square of the great city. Which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was, or also their Lord was crucified for three and a half days. From some, from uh, some, from every people, tribe, language, nation, will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. The inhabitants of the earth will gloat over and will celebrate by sending each other gifts because these two prophets had been tormented. Uh, those who live on the earth, so these two guys were considered tormenting everybody on earth. And so, and I'm sure they did bring supernatural components of stopping the rain. It says that they could bring fire down um, and plagues. So I'm sure that was part of the, you know, them gloating over their death. But uh, happy
1: it, days are here again. Yep. That's what they're going to sing. What was it? Ding dong, the witch is, is dead. dead. That's, That's right. right. That's right. And you know, it's amazing to me that today, Things like that, you can point to things like this behavior in the future have already happened. In New York, they've had art displays where they've taken the images, religious images, of a cross or of uh, a, a picture, even though we don't want, know what Jesus looked like, but a, a artist's rendition of Jesus and desecrated it and put it in for people to see in an art gallery. Mm-hmm. All kinds of terrible things. And that's exactly what's going to happen here. They're going to uh, the beast is going to overcome them. They're going to die, and people are going to be happy about it. They're going to exchange gifts. They're going to say the good riddance to bad rubbish. And the message was directly from God. These were messengers from God.
0: In and it's too it, it, again. That's the uh, the symbolism of the name is there. The fact that it was called the city was called Egypt and Sodom. Again, the idea that um, uh, you know the world, you know that Jerusalem had basically become like the world, and uh, Babylon again is going to be used later on in the Book of Revelation, a-, a picture again of the world. So these cities that were uh, that were big empires at some point—Sodom and Gomorrah, of course, from Book of Genesis; Egypt; Babylon—they all come to symbolize the fact that the world controls Jerusalem not God. But that's going to all change very soon.
1: Now, isn't it a great contrast that in verse 2, it's Jerusalem's called the holy city, but later on, it's likened unto Sodom and Gomorrah. Yep. It's the same place Uh, from God's point of view, that's his city. But because of the behavior, etc., it's just like Sodom and Gomorrah.
0: And that's exactly the way the the Essenes in the Dead Sea, uh, in Qumran, who wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls, oh, they left Jerusalem. They said, we're getting out of this place. These were people who who uh, I'm confident loved the Lord. They loved God. They wanted to follow his law to the point where they looked at what was going on in Jerusalem. They said, we want nothing to do with these people. We're out of here. We're going to go create our own community, you know, maybe about, uh, I don't know, maybe 40 miles or something south of Jerusalem in the it's wilderness. It's a rough 40 miles. <laughs> it's a, yeah, it's not easy at all. Um, but when you get down on the Dead Sea, you see that they were living a, a monastic lifestyle in anticipation for the coming of the Messiah, who would once for all deal with all the garbage coming out of Jerusalem and fix it. And so, again, I'm not saying that there's a connection here, but the witnesses are
1: telling of Jerusalem's
0: Change that will happen with the coming of the Messiah. So, yep.
1: no chapter eleven is. We'll we'll have to come back to chapter eleven next week and combine it with chapter twelve. I think that's a great idea. So, those are the two witnesses. We'll come back to that. We've got more
0: to talk about, Steve. um There's some interesting things we, we've been talking about Purim earlier on, um, and uh there's an article that we found uh, and a listener, Alan sent to us i didn't you that's news to me a listener he was
1: he was on uh israel 365
0: that's right so alan a big thank you hey listen i'm alan
1: thanks a lot
0: uh, alan listen if you're listening on the podcast and you see some news that maybe you'd like to see on the jew and gentile if we have time to get to it and it's relevant uh please be sure to go to foiequip.org and in our say shalom section where you can say hello to us Send us the link of the news that you think might be good for our listeners to hear. This one comes from Alan, so Steve, take it away.
1: This is from Israel365, Egyptian professor. Purim is fictitious. It's based on pagan festival used by Zionists (laughs) to justify killing modern enemies. So blame it on the Zionists. Of course, blame it on the Zionists. Purim never happened. It's just a bunch of Jews who are controlling everything.
0: Well, this is a professor um, from Cairo University who studies Jewish studies. And um, his name is Professor Ahmed Elgandy. And um, he, in his uh, Arabic—it's actually—this is interesting. Let me let me read this really quick, because it says, On Sunday—this was last Sunday, I believe— uh, Al-Arabia, UK, a pan-Arab news website headquartered in London, published an Arabic-language editorial called About Purim, A Myth in the Service of Politics. And the article begins by explaining what Purim is. So Professor Elgin explains. Uh, as, an, as a Muslim man, I'm guessing himself, who studies at Cairo University, um, he gives a definition to what Purim is. But then he goes on and he says this, Steve. He says that uh, Professor Elgadi goes on to say that the Jewish holiday of Purim is based on a quote story from the world of imagination, which was created by an ancient Jewish writer and later included by Jewish scholars in the books of the old in the books of the Old Testament. After a summary of the Book of Esther in which the Jewish heroine is compared to Cinderella, the professor notes, the name of the king, Ajuerus, was the only thing that carries historical value in the story. And then he writes, so it's all fictitious except for Ajuerus. The professor explained that the Jews of Persia overcame their enemies, summarizing the outcome in an anti-Semitic trope saying, well, it appears as if the Jews had ruled in all the kingdom,
1: (laughs) including the king himself. Boy, he didn't read the story i I <laughs> yeah, they were in charge all the time. Uh, that's what did Esther do say? She said, "If I perish, I perish." She thought she could die she yeah she she didn't want to
0: approach the king. no,
1: because if he didn't hold out his scepter, anybody who didn't hold out that scepter that tried to come into his presence, he had bodyguards, Chris boom, they stabbed first and then asked, "Hey, why are you here." <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, I always tell people it's the equivalent. You can't just walk into the Oval Office. You've got layers, and you've got to be invited in. It's the same thing with the king. And even, you know, back then, Esther did not have the permission to just walk into the king's court, and she was scared for her own life. But the thing that's interesting to me, Steve, is that this professor is trying to say this. Jews were not victims in the book of Esther, when you read through the book of Esther, your takeaway is this: those Jews, they were victims. They were victims of Haman, and Haman tried to get all the Jews killed. And so God, you know, it's some, even though His name's not mentioned, that somehow they were providentially, the providence of God. That's right, right, Pro- providentially and, saved. And so, in in doing so, now all of a sudden, um, you know, uh, the Jews uh, that were once victims are now heroes. Okay. Well, here he's saying, see, Jews shouldn't be seen as the victims because why? I quoted it right here. He says this, because it appeared as if the Jews had ruled in all the kingdom, including the king himself. And so what he's saying is this. No, no, no. See, Jews can't be victims in the book of Esther because the Jews controlled everything, even the king. See, Esther controlled the king, all of this stuff all these maneuverings Jews controlled it. And so what he does is he makes a parallel to Jews of all history and he says even today Jewish people in Israel it seems like they're victims. It seems like they're victims the tiny nation, but that's not true. See, Jews control everything. And so therefore they aren't victims. And that's what he's trying to connect it to which is wrong. It's wrong. That's called and that's the that is the most basic Anti-Semitic trope, you could possibly say. Jews control everything.
1: 100%. You know, Chris, whenever I teach the book of Esther, I always go to chapter 8, because one of the things people say about us is, Oh, those Jews, they're always interested in money. Money, money, money. Well, in chapter 9 and in verse 15, it says, And the Jews who were in Shushan gathered together again on the 14th day of the month of Adar and killed 300 men at Shushan. But they did not lay a hand on the plunder. Mm-hmm. So the story in chapter 9, remember, uh, the original decree was that you could go kill Jews and you could take their stuff. That was the decree. And the king couldn't change his decree. He couldn't alter it. Even when he found he couldn't alter it. The only thing he could do was issue another decree. Very interesting. God's decree, in the day you sin, thereof you will die. He couldn't alter that decree, but he could issue another decree, which is in the person and work of Christ. But here. That's a great just and justifier. Uh, so here, the Jewish people, are, the other decree is hey, you could defend yourself. They're coming because of the first decree. Get ready. And interestingly enough, 300 crazy people decide they're going to do it anyway. They get killed. The Jews were entitled to their stuff, but didn't take it. I always tell people about that, because in the text of Scripture, Jewish people—and by the way, I think you could back it up. Do you know, we already talked about the fact that today, of all people, including evangelicals, Jewish people are the biggest givers, philanthropists, in the world today. Mm-hmm. Here's an example. They could have taken it. They weren't in it for the money. They just wanted to live. Yeah. <laughs> just let me live. Live and be well. That's that's my byline. <laughs> well, that's
0: you know, that's what's interesting to me is that I, I did a little research for the uh, stats on how Egyptians feel about Israel. And one of the modern stat, one of the more recent stats that came out, Steve, was that 84% of Egyptians polled. Are, have a negative outlook, either—I think it was like 20—it was a, a crazy amount, but some said, we don't like—very uh, negative, and then the other one was somewhat negative. But either way, you put it all together, 84% of, of, of Egyptians do not believe that uh, the Arab countries that made peace with Israel during the Abraham Accords should have done that. They have a negative outlook on the Abraham Accords. Okay, so this is interesting to me. So they, 84% of Egyptians feel that way. When it's funny, because I think most Israelis like the Abraham Accords. They're getting on planes now, and they're flying to Qatar. They're flying to Dubai. They're flying to all these places. There's like a connection now. But what's funny to me is that what Israel has always wanted is peace. They've wanted peace. You see it in the percentages of when polls are done in Israel. They want peace with their neighbors. But it's funny to me that 84% of Egyptians, they don't like the peace that's being made. And so it's funny because the one thing that Mordecai and Esther wanted out of all of this was, like you said, leave me alone. <laughs> I
1: just want peace, Zai gazun. That's right. live <laughs> and
0: be well. <laughs> just give, leave me alone. We just want to be us. Leave us alone. And it's just funny to me because here is this Egypt and the Arab world, if you will, because it's a it was an article written by an Egyptian to Arab speaking people. The, the Esther's not real. Oh, and by the way, they use that text to say that they're victims when they're not. And I just think it's funny because it's leave us alone. We're, we want peace with people. What more, what more do you want from us?
1: So, the Jews have survived in the diaspora, whichever country lets them in and leaves them alone. That's right? right. And then they've thrived. And so has, and the culture, wherever it is, has thrived with them even more so as they're there. You could go back to Spain before 1492. The Jew, that was a w- wonderful time in Alexandria, and Egypt. Way back, uh, right after the temple was uh, burnt, and the, the s- several Jewish people went there, they, they thrived, and so did Egypt. It wherever we've in Europe, they thrived. But nope, leave them alone was not in the card, so we kept <laughs> moving around, and Israel becomes a country in large part because. They were trying to find a place, and in fact, they sell it this way. I've heard Benjamin Netanyahu say to the French, and they're under anti-Semitism, come to Israel because they won't leave you alone. Here, you live the way you want. Yep. Zygezun. But it's even more—well, you, you will be
0: protected because you are—you know, in every other country, you— you don't know if they'll protect you because you're Jewish.
1: Exactly. But when you come to Israel, the Jewish army, the Israel Defense Forces, will protect you. And there's only one major country, and, and we're seeing evidence, where the Jewish people haven't been prompted, just like Purim. Why was Esther and Mordecai there? Business is good. Yeah, oh, yeah. Business was good. Only 50,000 went to Israel when Cyrus gave him permission and the fact is, there will be, an I believe, if the Lord tarries, a giant exodus from Jews from America when it happens here. Mm, that's true. At 60%
0: of hate crimes in America are directed toward Jewish people. 60%. percent—that You don't ever hear that on the news. Isn't that, because we talk about hate crime. We talk about race. We talk about hate crimes. We talk about all these things uh, uh, on the news all the time that segregate us, that separate us, all of that. And here is a hard fact from the FBI that says 60% of hate crimes are committed toward the Jewish people in America, the vast majority.
1: And what? And and look, this guy says the Jews were in control. That's right. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, that's exactly right. All right, Chris, what's uh, this business about an inscription and King Darius? Tell us.
0: Okay, so this is interesting to me, Steve. I just found this on the Jerusalem Post. Uh, Inscription bearing Persian King Darius the Great's name discovered in Israel, we've been talking about— And his name's right there. There's a picture. Bada bing, bada boom. You can click on it, and you can Make find sure it right you there. put that link. It's in there. It's in our show notes. You can go read it yourself. But it says this, Darius the Great is the father of King Ahasuerus, who we've been talking about. Boy, Purim is in the air. I'm telling you. Also known as the biblical—I can't pronounce this—Akashverosh. How do you say that? I don't know where I guess another name for Ahasuerus. Uh, and that's front here underneath the title. You see the little section there? Akash Varosh from the story of Purim. Discovery was made by the international media advisor to President Isaac
1: Herzog of Israel. Oh, too bad he didn't have an eye. <laughs> it's Herzog. I'm a Herzog. I know you're very close, very President close. President Missed Herzog. It by an eye. That's
0: right. It's always something. In uh, an inscription bearing the name of Persian King Darius the Great was discovered in Tel Lakish National Park, in the first discovery of an inscription bearing the king's name anywhere in Israel. And the best is this: the discovery was made by Elon Levy. Uh, I'm sorry, El Elian Levy, the international media advisor to Israeli President Isaac Herzog. Steve, the reason this is funny to me is that number one. You know, when you think about discoveries being made in Israel, oftentimes your picture, your mind goes to the Indiana Jones, the hat, the, you know, and he's in there and he's digging. <laughs> I love this testimony. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you, you, I'll let you read it in a second. It's just funny because some, a lot of the discoveries that people make, they're like kids who are walking around in Israel. They kick up some dirt and boom, there's an inscription. Or some mom that goes on some volunteer trip to you know, in Israel to help out, you know, the, 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 the kids program. And they're all just doing some fun, you know, uh, 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 archaeology for the day. And then, boom, they find some ancient inscription that changes the way that we understand uh, history. You know, that's what I love about Israel and archaeology is that here's a guy who works in politics. And I know he's a journalist, and I'll read something from him in a moment. But it's just funny to me because
1: uh, he found it. And it wasn't
0: even an archaeologist.
1: When I was walking around here with a friend just exploring the history, I was turning over pieces of pottery and stones in my hand. And suddenly I found something that had letters on it. And I thought, this was too good to be true. <laughs> but guess what? It was true. And there's a picture of him holding that little piece that has Darius's name. On it, and that's the Darius um, from uh, from
0: the Book of Daniel yep. as well, and so very, very important. Again, identifying King Darius and identifying him in the land of Israel, which is very important. And Lachish is a very important Judean town. It was a satellite town to um, to uh, Jerusalem, a part of the Judean Kingdom, a, a very important city. That would actually be attacked by the Assyrians and be attacked by the Babylonians. And so there's a lot of archaeology that comes out of that. And, of course, the Persian name is here. But, Steve, I actually—the same guy that found that, um, found that uh, inscription there, I have him in my book. Elion El-on Levy, an Israeli journalist, he actually describes— what it was like? Do you remember when they kicked is Netanyahu uh, they or Netanyahu lost as prime minister mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they formed a coalition government? Well, I follow this uh, uh, Levy guy on on Twitter, and what he wrote, I actually emailed him because I said, "Can I use this in my book?" Because what he wrote summarized perfectly the events that actually moved Netanyahu out of office. Eventually, he would come back into office, but uh, this is what he wrote: The Islamic leader just signed a deal with the liberal secular son of a Holocaust survivor to establish a government headed by a religious nationalist and former settler leader in a hotel named after the Maccabees. That's where we're at. Does that, you know what, do you remember that Mm -hmm. when the, when the opposition government uh, led by uh, um, a, a secular Israeli partnered with a Islamist and then, uh, worked alongside um, uh, Neftali Bennett, who was a nationalist, religious. Wasn't that long ago? Wasn't that long ago? And he and it was all that deal was signed to kick Netanyahu to beat Netanyahu. I shouldn't say kick him out; beat him um, was signed in a, in a, a hotel um, named after the Maccabees. <laughs> I thought it was really well written. No, it was great. It, it, was, it was really, great. really good.
1: All right. Anyway, here we go. Yiddish All word right. of the day. We were looking for a Yiddish word and we decided to look at our heroine that is Queen Esther. Well, we were first started off by wanting to find a Yiddish word that had to do with Haman. Yeah, but we didn't like any didn't, of those words. That's right. So. so, we went with a good word, a uh, uh, a word that talks about Esther because she was selected by the king because of her beauty. She had a shena punem. Shena punem. Shena punem means pretty face. Uh, but pretty, the Yiddish word pretty certainly can mean physical traits, but it also has to do with your heart, your inward beauty. In fact, our first child is named Shayna. Your first child is named Shayna. Yes, yep. she is. And she has two beautiful kids. She does. Uh, William her husband. and her William and Bella. And Bella is the Italian name for pretty. Pretty, exactly. So, and so the beat goes on. I've Growing
0: up and coming to your house, I remember hearing you and Alice say, Shayna punam. Shayna punam. Well, pretty face.
1: Pretty face. That's our Yiddish that's word of the day. That's
0: had. She had a pretty face. And because of that, she was able to get right Bada in. bing,
1: bada boom. We eat that,
0: <laughs> Everybody, that is the Yiddish word of the day shana punham all right hey listen thank you so much for being a part of the jew and gentile podcast do this for me if you're still here and you're listening be sure to like and rate our podcast your reviews are going to help move the Jew and Gentile up the ranking. So please be sure to rate, like our podcast. Don't give us a one star. Don't call it propaganda. Okay. Like us. Be sure to rate our, pro- and be sure to become a subscriber on YouTube as well. You can subscribe to our YouTube page to watch the Jew and Gentile podcast. Sign and up for Tom Simcox. So you can watch Tom Simcox as well. Go to foiequip.org to register for Tom's class. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for being a part of the Jew and Gentile podcast. We'll see you next week.